Geekville Radio. Hello once again, all your ladies and gentlemen, geeks and geekettes, this is Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, the mayor of Geekville, and the host of Geekville Radio, coming at you with another episode here. We're going to talk some DC news about Superman, as well as some high praise about the Flash movie, coming from one of the biggest stars in all of Hollywood, Tom Cruise. And then we will wind it up with our obligatory review of The Mandalorian, This week we're doing Chapter 19, The Convert. So our top story is on Superman Legacy, which will be coming out in a little over two years from the night of this recording. James Gunn has confirmed on Twitter that he is directing the movie. Previous reports had only confirmed that he would be writing the film. And I don't think it was listed anywhere in the uh, post when he had actually made up his mind to direct it, or if he had been directing it all along, or if there were even other directors were considered. We'll jump right into the Twitter post from James Gunn himself, at James Gunn on Twitter. Yes, I'm directing Superman Legacy to be released on July 11th, 2025. My brother Matt told me when he saw the release date, he started to cry. I asked him why. He said, dude, it's dad's birthday. I hadn't realized. I lost my dad almost three years ago. He was my best friend. He didn't understand me as a kid, but he supported my love of comics and my love of film. I wouldn't be making this movie now without him. It has been a long road to this point. I was offered Superman years ago. I initially said no because I didn't have a way in that felt unique, fun, and emotional that gave Superman the dignity he deserved. Then a bit less than a year ago, I saw a way in, in many ways centering around Superman's heritage how both his aristocratic Kryptonian parents and his Kansas farmer parents inform who he is and the choices he makes. So I chose to finally take on writing the script, but was hesitant to direct, despite the constant pestering by Peter Safran and others to commit. Sorry, Peter is in parentheses. Just because I write something doesn't mean I feel it in my bones, visually and emotionally, enough to spend over two years directing it, especially not something of this magnitude. But the long and the short of it is, I love this script, and I'm incredibly excited we begin this journey. Hashtag up, up, and away. So there you have it. James Gunn is directing. I know I'm not alone in this. I'm not going to say that I was the first to say this or anything, but it is something I've been saying for a while since Gunn was hired as the co-CEO of Disney Studios, along with Peter Safran, and that's that he is going to handle Superman with a different vision than he would something like Guardians of the Galaxy or Suicide Squad. We all know James Gunn has that eclectic, quirky style to them, to his movies. He does a lot of comedy, some dark comedy, very eclectic music soundtrack. That's all stuff I think a lot of people like about him, including myself. But I don't think you're going to see the dirty jokes and the double entrandas in a Superman film because I think James Gunn is smart enough to know that that's not the type of stuff you do for somebody as well-known as Superman. Even Guardians of the Galaxy was not a very well-known title. A lot of people really from Guardians of the Galaxy remember the titles from the 60s and the 70s. Like the entire state of science fiction, I think, was a little different 
in those days. And of course, Guardians of the Galaxy with the whole talking raccoon and talking tree, that alone makes it more in line with something James Gunn would do that's crazier, so to speak. But Superman is Superman. I think everybody knows his story. Everybody knows what to expect out of a Superman movie. There's nothing that needs reinventing here or upgrading or rebooting or anything like that. So I hope we just get a simple, it doesn't have to be simple, but a straightforward Superman movie that doesn't try to turn Superman into something that he's not. I think a lot of fans are like that, as I am. We don't need to reinvent Superman and we don't need to try to make him more relatable to a modern audience because everybody already knows who he is. But it is nice to get the confirmation from Gunn himself that he has decided to direct the film. Now, elsewhere in the DCU, Tom Cruise has actually seen the Flash movie and likes it. This is from The Hollywood Reporter. Apparently, David Zaslav led a private screening for Cruise at his Beverly Hills home. James Gunn himself has actually called The Flash probably one of the greatest superhero movies ever made. And Hollywood Reporter says that Cruise described the film as everything you want in a movie, and this is the kind of movie we need now. So it actually sounds kind of like it'll be like Top Gun Maverick, because that's what a lot of people were saying about Top Gun Maverick, that it was like the perfect film for the time. Gunn himself has also confirmed that the film will lead directly into his reboot of the DC Universe. Now, as of this writing, there has only been one trailer and one TV spot that ran during the Super Bowl. I mean, the big game, the Superb Owl. I'm sure we're going to get at least one more full-blown trailer before then. It'll be interesting to see how many TV spots we get. And I think this will have a lot of critical eyes on it, just like there's been on Shazam, because... Shazam! Fury of the Gods is looked at as a lame duck movie because everything's getting rebooted next year and they can really kind of do what they want with Shazam, I think. I'll probably have more to say when I am actually able to see the Shazam movie. But given that the villains in Shazam! Fury of the Gods are actually from mythology and not really from DC Comics lore, they haven't really established anything concrete that connects Shazam to the rest of the DC Universe, other than, of course, the faceless Superman cameo. So they can pretty much do what they want with Shazam, and it will probably still fit in, because he can just get called into the Justice League or whatever. But with the rumors going around that the Flash is going to essentially open up a new reality, it'll be a, a new Earth or a new universe in the multiverse that's going to be all new, all different, however you want to brand it. It's, it's going to be its own rebooted continuity. They can do what they want. So I think a lot of people understand that as well, even maybe some of the casual moviegoers. But this one, I mean, given the hoopla around it, not just the movie itself, not just the rebrand reboot of the DC Universe, not just Ezra Miller's antics, a lot of it's also, I think, Michael Keaton back as Batman. That alone, I think, has opened up a lot of eyes for people, and it's generated a lot of buzz for this movie. It seems like people are more excited for Batman in this movie than they are The Flash. And we'll see if the movie backs it up, if we're able to see Barry get put front and center 
as one of the core members of the Justice League because that's really what he needs to, to be. He needs to be one of those cornerstones of the Justice League because that's what he's been like in the comics for years. So that's going to wrap up the news here. We're going to switch gears and we will dive into The Mandalorian. Welcome, Bo-Katan of Clan Kreese. This is the way. This is the way. Mandalorian Chapter 19, The Convert. This would be the third episode of Season 3. That would have aired the week of March 15th, at least uh, as far as a, a Wednesday being. And when we last checked in with Din Djarin, he bathed in the living waters of Mandalore like he had sought out to do to seek redemption. However, he fell below the surface and had to be rescued by Bo-Katan, who found herself face to helmet with the long-believed extinct Mythosaur. Now, this episode was very different from the norm. Once we got through the opening act, which I think is probably one of the best opening acts they've had in this series to date, and I think that, that's saying something, because we got the plot movement with the waters of Mandalore, we got the hint at the Mythosaur, and then we got a nice big firefight on the way out where Din and Bo-Katan got to team up, blow up some TIE interceptors. We saw the Empire bomb Bo-Katan's castle, effectively destroying her home, leaving her homeless, and pretty much forcing her to go with Din Djarin off to his clan of Mandalorians, because she literally has no place else to go now. Like an officer and a gentleman, but boy, that's a dated reference. Anyway, advance some plot and jump off into hyperspace. But once we saw that, the episode really took a left turn, took a different course, and I'm sure this is going to be something that will upset some fans, which is that the Mandalorian himself is taking a back seat in his own show. And on top of that, the majority of this story took place on Coruscant with other characters. And there's a couple of significant things about this. This is the first time we've seen a post-Return of the Jedi Coruscant in live action. But we did get caught up to speed, finally, on what Dr. Pershing was doing since we last saw him. He was, of course, running the cloning experiments, and it looks like he was trying to use... Grogu's DNA or midichlorian count or whatever to successfully clone, presumably, Palpatine. I think, I'm not alone, I'm sure a lot of fans are seeing this, that we are seeing the Lego blocks being put into place that will eventually lead to Palpatine somehow returning. But now Dr. Pershing is on Coruscant. He claims that he was actually trying to keep avoidable deaths from happening by being able to clone bodily organs. Because he shared a story about how his mother had died, and if he was able to clone a organ of hers, then she might not have died. However, it always seems to be that Pershing is definitely motivated to clone more than just organs. And this is, of course, long after the Clone Wars. Cloning was outlawed. And really, I don't think that's really too much of a stretch because I'm pretty sure after what the Republic did and what Palpatine did effectively, I think most people would agree that cloning humans simply for the purpose of 
making them figurative cattle, essentially just cloning humans to be flesh and blood robots, that's pretty immoral. I think most people would agree with that. You can compare it to slavery, compare it to playing God, whatever analogy or metaphor you want to use there. It's something that shouldn't be used in that way. It shouldn't be something just to create your own army of lemmings. Now, we also did see the return of Lieutenant Kane, who is now a New Republic officer. We last saw her on Moff Gideon's Light Cruiser in the end of Season 2. Now, Kane's role in all of this has yet to be seen because she clearly double-crossed Dr. Pershing. She earned his trust. They walked around a little bit with the edible nightlights or electric popsicles, whatever you want to call them. And she turned him over to the New Republic. And he seemingly got in a lot of major trouble for that. Or could she be prepping Pershing for a second chance at achieving his goal of cloning Palpatine? Because we don't know the truth yet. We don't know the whereabouts of Moff Gideon. We don't know what happened to him. They did mention that he was paying for his crimes, but the other New Republic officials there doubted that, and they had heard rumors that something else had happened. Now, I'm sure, like I said, there's going to be some fans who will be upset that The Mandalorian is taking a backseat in his own show. There was a couple of episodes of Boba Fett where that happened, where Boba Fett barely appeared in his own series. And I say it again, uh, this happened to a lot of comics back in the day. There were several comics where the main character would take a back seat from time to time and would do so so that a story could be advanced from another point of view, so to speak. A certain point of view, as Obi-Wan would say. Because in order to show what bad guys are doing, you have to show bad guys, and the hero doesn't necessarily have to be around in that. So this is what we were doing. We were seeing the bad guys up to their nefarious purposes or even nefarious porpoises. I don't know if we'll see any porpoises in Mandalorian. That sounds more like a flipper thing. But what we did get in this episode, I think, was very newsworthy. It looks like Bo-Katan is with the clan, whether she likes it or not. Fans of Clone Wars will, of course, recall that she was actively a part of Death Watch, while her sister Satine was the Duchess of Mandalore. So will her bloodline give her seniority? Will this clan look to her as a proper leader? Or will they just follow that we need the person whoever has the Darksaber to lead us? Could she clash with the clan's ways since she blames them for Mandalore being vulnerable in the first place? Is Kane a triple agent? But it's pretty safe bet that this episode will be compared to last year's Andor series because Andor has been dealing with morally questionable ethics on multiple sides. I don't think we've seen the last of Kane. I think we're going to see her again. And I will leave with this little observation about chapter 19, The Convert. I can't help but notice that somehow they managed to make Come to the Dark Side, We Have Cookies, canon. Whether that was intentional or not, I couldn't help but think that when those biscuits were being talked about, it's like, Come to the Dark Side, We Have Biscuits, We Have Cookies. So that's going to bring us to the end of this episode of Geekville Radio. 
Thank you folks for listening. I know these have been pretty short lately just because I haven't had the time really to do as much as I've wanted to. There's a lot of real life stuff going on. So I appreciate your patience with that. I want to get stuff updated much more frequently than I do. But as it stands with my schedule, this has just kind of been it right now. So we're going to be back soon. Obviously, we've got several more episodes of The Mandalorian to review. I'd like to review Shazam! Fury of the Gods in its own right. I think that's worthy of a podcast entry. I hope you folks think so too. If you're listening to us for the first time, this is Geekville Radio. You can find us at geekvilleradio.com or on the podcatcher of your choosing. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, pretty much anywhere you find podcasts, you can find Geekville Radio, Amazon Music, Audible. Just do a search for Geekville Radio. You will find us and our family of podcasts. We have another edition of Examining the Doctor that's going to be out in the next few weeks. Myself and Mark Short will be going over the reconstructed Patrick Trout classic, Fury from the Deep, for you Doctor Who fans. That's one of the Doctor Who stories that was lost and then recently reconstructed and rebuilt as an animated story. So if you're a Doctor Who fan, you want to keep a lookout for that. Train and I will also have an episode of Classic Wrestling Memories about the late, great Antonio Inoki as well, because you cannot tell the story of professional wrestling, at least from an international standpoint, without mentioning the name Antonio Inoki. We'll talk about him and his accomplishments. And like I said, I'll be back soon with other reviews and other news. So going to shut down the power here in the Geekville Radio studios, and we'll talk to you folks again next time. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the hosts and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of GeekvilleRadio.com, A1-Wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved.